The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. This is the London Visited Podcast on your favourite podcast provider, bringing to you the facts, history and information about different parts of this great capital. If you have been to London, are planning on visiting, live here or just love London from afar, then this is the podcast for you. Hi, I'm Steve and welcome to our podcast. We're here for all things London and to tell you more behind some of the iconic places and people in London's history. In this episode, we look at Samuel Pepys, the renowned diarist from the 1660s. Don't forget to visit and subscribe to our YouTube channel, London Visited, to see videos covering so many different places across London, also different events that have had great influence from Samuel Pepys. Also, if you love the podcast and the channel, why not join us as a member? Join our group of what we like to call our London Visited Crown Jewels, where there are so many different benefits, including a members-only monthly podcast. Have a look by going to patreon.com forward slash London Visited. And now to this week's podcast. Samuel Pepys was an English diarist and naval administrator. He served as an administrator of the Royal Navy and a member of Parliament, and is most famous for the diary he kept for a decade. Pepys had no maritime experience, but he rose to be the Chief Secretary to the Admiralty under both King Charles II and King James II through patronage, diligence, and his talent for administration. His influence and reforms at the Admiralty were important in the early professionalisation of the Royal Navy. The detailed private diary that Pepys kept from 1660 until 1669 was first published in the 19th century and is one of the most important primary sources for the English Restoration period. It provides a combination of personal revelation and eyewitness accounts of the great events such as the Great Plague of London, the Second Dutch War and the Great Fire of London. Pepys was born in Salisbury Court, Fleet Street in London on the 23rd of February 1633, the son of John Pepys, a tailor, and Margaret Pepys, daughter of a Whitechapel butcher. His great-uncle Talbot Pepys was a recorder and briefly Member of Parliament for Cambridge in 1625. His father's first cousin, Sir Richard Pepys, was elected MP for Sudbury in 1640, appointed Baron of the Exchequer on the 30th of May 1654 and appointed Lord Chief Justice of Ireland on the 25th of September 1655. Pepys was the fifth of 11 children, but child mortality was high and he was soon the oldest survivor. He was baptised at St Bride's Church on the 3rd of March 1633. Pepys did not spend all of his infancy in London. For a while, he was sent to live with Nurse Goody Lawrence at Kingsland, just north of the city. In about 1644, Pepys attended Huntington Grammar School before being educated at St Paul's School in London. He attended the execution of Charles I in 1649. In 1650, he went to the University of Cambridge, having received two exhibitions from St Paul's School, perhaps owing to the influence of George Downing, who was chairman of the judges and for whom he later worked at the Exchequer, and a grant from the Mercia's company. In October, he was admitted as Caesar to Magdalene College. He moved there in March 1651 and took his Bachelor of Arts degree in 1654. Later, in 1664 or early 1655, he entered the household of one of his father's cousins, Sir Edward Montague, who was later created the first Earl of Sandwich. When he was 22, 
Pepys married 14-year-old Elizabeth de St. Michael, a descendant of French immigrants, first in a religious ceremony on the 10th of October 1655 and later in a civil ceremony on the 1st of December 1655 at St. Margaret's Westminster. From a young age, Pepys suffered with bladder stones, a condition from which his mother and brother John also later suffered. He was almost never without pain, as well as other symptoms, including blood in the urine. By the time of his marriage, the condition was very severe. In 1657, Pepys decided to undergo surgery, not an easy option, as the operation was known to be especially painful and hazardous. Nevertheless, Pepys consulted surgeon Thomas Hollier, and on the 26th of March 1658, the operation took place in a bedroom in the house of Pepys's cousin, James Turner. Pepys's stone was successfully removed, and he resolved to hold a celebration on every anniversary of the operation, which he did for several years. However, there were long-term effects from the operation. The incision on his bladder broke open again late in his life. The procedure may have left him sterile, though there is no direct evidence for it, he was childless before the operation. In mid-1658, Pepys moved to Axe Yard, near the modern Downing Street, and he worked as a teller in the Exchequer under George Downing. On the 1st of January 1660, Pepys began to keep a diary. He recorded his daily life for almost 10 years. This record of a decade of Pepys's life is more than a million words long and is often regarded as Britain's most celebrated diary. Pepys has been called the greatest diarist of all time due to his frankness in writing concerning his own weaknesses and the accuracy with which he records events of daily British life and major events of the 17th century. Pepys wrote about the contemporary court and theatre, including his amorous affairs with the actresses, his household, and major political and social occurrences. Historians have been using his diary to gain greater insight and understanding of life in London in the 17th century. Pepys wrote consistently on subjects such as personal finances, the time he got up in the morning, the weather, and what he ate. He wrote at length about his new watch, which he was very proud of, and which had an alarm, a new accessory at the time. A country visitor who did not enjoy his time in London because he felt that it was too crowded, and his cat waking him up at one in the morning. Pepys's diary is one of the very few sources which provides us such a length in details of everyday life of an upper middle class man during the 17th century. Aside from the day-to-day -day activities, Pepys also commented on the significant and turbulent events of his nation. England was in disarray when he began writing his diary. Oliver Cromwell had died just a few years before, creating a period of civil unrest and a large power vacuum to be filled. Pepys had been a strong supporter of Cromwell, but he converted to the royalist cause upon the protector's death. He was on the ship that returned Charles II to England to take up his throne and gave first-hand accounts of other significant events from the early years of the Restoration, such as the coronation of Charles II, the Great Plague and the Great Fire of London and the Anglo-Dutch Wars. Pepys did not plan on his contemporaries ever seeing his diary, which is evident from the fact that he wrote in shorthand, and sometimes in a code of various Spanish, French and Italian words, especially when describing his illicit affairs. However, Pepys often juxtaposed profanities in his native English amongst his code of foreign words, a practice which would reveal the details to any casual reader. He did intend future generations to see the diary, as evidenced by its inclusion in his library and its catalogue before his death along with a shorthand guide he used and the elaborate planning by which he ensured his library survived intact after his death. The women whom he pursued, his friends and his dealings were all laid out. His diary reveals his jealousies, insecurities, trivial concerns and his fractious relationship with his wife. 
it has been an important account of London in the 1660s. The juxtaposition of his commentary on politics and national events, alongside the very personal, can be seen from the beginning. His opening paragraphs, written in January 1660, begin, Blessed be God, at the end of the last year I was in very good health, without any sense of my old pain, but upon taking of cold. I lived in Axe Yard, having my wife and servant Jane, and no more in family than us three. My wife, after the absence of her terms for seven weeks, gave me hopes of her being with child, but on the last day of the year she hath them again. The condition of the state was thus, viz. the rump, after being distributed by my Lord Lambert, was lately returned to sit again. The officers of the army all forced to yield. Lawson lies still in the river, and Monk is with the army in Scotland. Only my Lord Lambert is not yet come into the Parliament, nor is it expected that he will, without being forced to it. In Puerto Rico, we call ourselves Boricua. We are proud, passionate, and full of life. On our island, adventure finds you. Strangers aren't strangers for long. The size of the audience doesn't change the beauty of the music. And we celebrate every last ray of sun. Live Boricua. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. The entries from the first few months were filled with news of General George Monk's march on London. In April and May of that year, he was encountering problems with his wife, and he accompanied Montague's fleet to the Netherlands to bring back Charles II back from exile. Montague was made Earl of Sandwich on the 18th of June, and Pepys secured the position of Clerk of the Axe to the Navy Board on the 13th of July. As Secretary to the Board, Pepys was entitled to a £350 annual salary, plus various gratuities and benefits that came with the job, including bribes. He rejected an offer for £1,000 for the position from a rival, and soon afterwards moved to official accommodation in Seething Lane in the City of London. Pepys stopped writing his diary in 1669. His eyesight had begun to trouble him, and he feared that writing in dim light was damaging his eyes. He did imply in these last entries that he might have others write his diary for him, but doing so would result in a loss of privacy and it seems that he never went through with those plans. In the end, Pepys lived another 34 years without going blind, but he never took to writing his diary again. However, Pepys dictated a journal for two months in 1669 to 1670 as a record of his dealings with the commissioners of accounts at that period. He also kept a diary for a few months in 1683 when he was sent to Tangier, Morocco, as the most senior civil servant in the Navy during the English evacuation. The diary mostly covers work-related matters. On the Navy board, Pepys proved to be more able and efficient worker than colleagues in higher positions. This often annoyed Pepys and provoked much harsh criticism in his diary. Among his colleagues were Admiral Sir William Penn, Sir George Catterett, Sir John Menz and Sir William Batten. Pepys learned arithmetic from a private tutor and used models of ships to make up for his lack of first-hand nautical experience and ultimately came to play a significant role in the board's activities. In September 1660, he was made a Justice of the Peace. 
On the 15th of February 1662, Pepys was admitted as a younger brother of Trinity House, and on the 30th of April, he received the freedom of Portsmouth. Through Sandwich, he was involved in the administration of the short-lived English colony of Tangier. He joined the Tangier Committee in August 1662 when the colony was first founded and became its treasurer in 1665. In 1663, he independently negotiated a £3,000 contract for Norwegian masts, demonstrating the freedom of action that his superior abilities allowed. He was appointed to a commission of the Royal Fishery on the 8th of April 1664. Pepys's job required him to meet many people, to dispense money and make contracts. He often laments at how he lost his labour after having gone to some appointment at a coffee house or tavern, only to discover that the person with whom he was seeking was not there. These occasions were a constant source of frustration to Pepys. Pepys's diary provides a first-hand account of the restoration and includes detailed accounts in several major events of the 1660s, along with a lesser-known diary of John Evelyn. In particular, it is an invaluable source for the study of the Second Anglo-Dutch War of 1665 to 1667, the Great Plague of 1665, and the Great Fire of London in 1666. In relation to the plague and fire, C.S. Knighton has written, From its reporting of these two disasters to the metropolis in which he thrived, Pepys's diary has become a national monument. Robert Latham, editor of the definitive edition of the diary, remarks concerning the plague and fire. His descriptions of both, agonisingly vivid, achieve their effect by being something more than the superlative reporting. They are written with compassion. As always with Pepys, it is people, not literary effects that matter. In early 1665, the start of the Second Anglo-Dutch War placed great pressure on Pepys. His colleagues were either engaged elsewhere or incompetent, and Pepys had to conduct a great deal of business himself. He excelled under the pressure, which was extreme due to the complexity of the underfunding of the Royal Navy. At the outset, he proposed a centralised approach to supplying the fleet. His idea was accepted, and he was made Surveyor General in October 1665. The position brought a further £300 a year. Pepys wrote about the Second Anglo-Dutch War. In all things, in wisdom, courage, force and success, the Dutch have the best of us, and do end the war with victory on their side. And King Charles II said, don't fight the Dutch, imitate them. In 1667, with the war lost, Pepys helped to discharge the navy. The Dutch had defeated England on open water and now began to threaten English soil itself. In June 1667, they conducted their raid on the Medway, broke the defensive chain at Gillingham and towed away the Royal Charles, one of the Royal Navy's most important ships. As he had done during the fire and the plague, Pepys again removed his wife and his gold from London. The Dutch raid was a major concern in itself, but Pepys was personally placed under a different kind of pressure. The Navy Board and his role as Clerk of the Acts came under scrutiny from the public and from Parliament. The war ended in August, and on the 17th of October, the House of Commons created a committee of miscarriages. On the 20th of October, a list was demanded from Pepys of ships and commanders at the time of the division of the fleet in 1666. However, these demands were actually quite desirable for him, as tactical and strategic mistakes were not the responsibility of the Navy Board. The Board did face some allegations regarding the Medway Raid, but they could exploit the criticism already attracted by Commissioner of the Chatham, Peter Pett, to deflect criticism from themselves. The committee accepted this tactic when they reported in February 1668. The Board was, however, criticised for its use of tickets to pay seamen. These tickets could only be exchanged for cash at the Navy's Treasury in London. 
Pepys made a long speech at the Bar of the Commons on the 5th of March 1668, defending this practice. It was, in the words of C.S. Knighton, a virtuoso performance. The commission was followed by an investigation led by a more powerful authority, the Commissioners of Accounts. They met at Brook House, Holborn, and spent two years scrutinising how the war had been financed. In 1669, Pepys had to prepare detailed answer to the committee's eight observations on the Navy Board's conduct. In 1670, he was forced to defend his own role. A seaman's ticket with Pepys's name on it was produced as inconvertible evidence of his corrupt dealings, but, thanks to the intervention of the King, Pepys emerged from the sustained investigation relatively unscathed. Outbreaks of the plague were not unusual events in London. Major epidemics had occurred in 1592, 1603, 1625, and 1636. Furthermore, Pepys was not among the group of people who were most at risk. He did not live in cramped housing, he did not routinely mix with the poor, and he was not required to keep his family in London in the event of a crisis. It was not until June 1665 that the unusual seriousness of the plague became apparent. So Pepys's activities in the first five months of 1665 were not significantly affected by it. Claire Tomlin wrote that 1665 was, to Pepys, one of the happiest years of his life. He worked very hard that year, and the outcome was that he quadrupled his fortune. In his annual summary on the 31st of December, he wrote, I have never lived so merrily, besides that I have never got so much as I have done this plague time. Nonetheless, Pepys was certainly concerned about the plague. On the 16th of August, he wrote, But, Lord, how sad a sight it is to see the streets empty of people, and very few upon the change. Jealous of every door that one sees shut up, least it should be the plague. And about us two shops in three, if not more, generally shut up. He also chewed tobacco as a protection against infection and worried that wig makers might be using hair from the corpses as raw material. Furthermore, it was Pepys who suggested that the Navy office should evacuate to Greenwich, although he did offer to remain in town himself. He later took great pride in his stoicism. Meanwhile, Elizabeth Pepys was sent to Woolwich. She did not return to Seething Lane until January 1666 and was shocked by the sight of St. Olive's churchyard where 300 people had been buried. So, I hope you've enjoyed our first part look at Samuel Pepys, the well-known diarist. Part two will be with you next week. If you'd like to make contact with us or suggest any places that you'd like us to feature in future podcasts, you can let me know through our website, londonvisited.co.uk, or through our social media. It's that easy. Thanks for listening. Really hope you enjoyed our podcast, and we'll see you next week for part two. Bye. Thanks for listening and please don't forget to subscribe to get more shows direct to your device. Also, why not visit our London Visited YouTube channel to get even more of London. Catch you soon on the next one.